If you're new, I'm Ricky. I'm honored to be the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline, and we are glad that you are celebrating the risen Savior with us today. And thank you. Look at this packed house. Uh, thank you for squeezing in. Now you know how sardines feel. <laughs> and you know, we're here today to praise God. But honestly, I want to talk to you about a question that maybe some people in this room are asking themselves, even as you look great on the outside. And that is, how can I praise God when life is painful? Many years ago, I was able to listen to Dr. Gary Habermas uh, give a lecture on the resurrection of Jesus. I was able to speak with him uh, over lunch. And Dr. Habermas shared with me how that even though he is a, a New Testament professor of theology and philosophy, he's written over 40 books, given 1,500 lectures on college and university and seminary campuses around the world, defending the historical evidence for the resurrection. He said there was nonetheless a time in his life when his faith was shaken to its core. It was 1995, he said, when his wife was dying of stomach cancer. He also shared that story with a journalist named Lee Strobel. Lee put it in his book, The Case for Easter or The Case for Christ, either one of those books. But here's what Dr. Habermas told me, and here's what he told Lee Strobel. He said that while his wife is dying of cancer, Something amazing happened. He said, my students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? He said, as sober as those circumstances were, I had to smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own teaching. And second, it worked. He said he would continue to ask the question, though, of God. God, why are you allowing my sweetheart to go through this? Why is she lying in her bed upstairs fighting for her life? And he said it was like God would continually answer him with the question, did I raise my son from the dead? And Gary would have to say, God, you know I believe you did. I've searched the evidence. I believe did I raise my son from the dead? He said, until I got the point, the resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. And do you know what? It worked for me while I was sitting on the porch, and it still works today. Losing my wife was one of the most painful experiences I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything. It was good in AD 30. It was good for 1995. And it is good beyond that. That's not some sermon. I believe that with all my heart. If there's a resurrection, there's a heaven. If Jesus was raised, Debbie will be raised. And I will someday soon be raised. And I will see them both. How can we praise God when life is painful? It's only when we hold on to spiritual realities in the midst of our present difficulties. This is a holiday weekend around the world, but your problems don't take a holiday. Some of you feel like you've lost all hope because of the struggles that you're facing. You're in a marriage that seems to be crumbling before your eyes, no matter how hard you try to keep it together. And you're wondering, how can I praise God when life is painful? Some of you right now are grieving the loss of a loved one, and you're going to go home today to an empty chair, and you're wondering, how can I praise God when life is painful? Some of you parents are grieving over a child that is out and they're not living for God and they're making a mess of their life. 
And you're wondering, how can I praise God when life is painful? Some of you teenagers know what it is to try to live for God in this world that seems to be hostile to your faith in Christ and you're laughed at by your friends or your peers and you're wondering, how can I praise God when life is painful? Well, let me ask you a question. Did God raise his son from the dead or not? Because if he did, you can face life and praise God by hanging on to these spiritual realities, even in the midst of your painful difficulties. You can say, I'm glad that at a time like this, the resurrection of Jesus is real. I want to take you today to a passage of scripture that might be odd for an Easter Sunday morning at first glance, but I think you'll discover it's exactly what we need to hear today. It's in the New Testament book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. In the next few moments, I just want to share with you some spiritual realities that you can hold on to because Jesus is alive. And if you're not going through anything right now, please take some good notes because you're going to need this one day. I promise you. We all go through difficult times. The Apostle Peter is writing this letter that we call the uh, letter of 1 Peter. It's the first one that we have a copy of in our New Testament. He's writing somewhere around the year AD 64, 65, 66, maybe as late as AD 67. And he's writing to Christians who are from both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds who were being persecuted, physically persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. It was not easy for them to follow Jesus. And it was painful for them losing family members and friends who were turning their backs on them for one reason, and that was because they were Christians facing the hostility of a Roman empire that was wanting to put down Christianity because it saw Christianity as a threat to emperor worship. And in the midst of their pain and their problems, the apostle Peter, that disciple of Jesus, later in his life is able to say to them, it's possible to praise God when life is painful, but you gotta hang on to the resurrection of Jesus. That's the only key that makes sense of everything else. Let's read it together. You read silently from your copy of God's word. I'll also put it on the screen. First Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The apostle Peter says, because Jesus lives, we can praise God with three certainties. Certainty number one, we have a hope that will never die. We have a hope that will never die. Did you hear that in verse three? He's praising God. He's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he praising God? Why is he eulogizing God? He says, because according to God's great mercy, his unmerited love and kindness towards us, he has caused each one of us who have placed our faith in Jesus to be born again, to have a new beginning, to have a spiritual life where we are right with God in time and for eternity. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope a hope that will not die, a hope that is a living hope because it is based on the living, risen Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Hope is one of those three essential qualities of the Christian life, faith, hope, love. 
And hope is an essential ingredient of our lives. Life is too painful when you lose hope. Have you ever heard of Flagstaff, Maine? Flagstaff, Maine was a little town that was wiped out in 1950 when a dam was built that created a lake that covered Flagstaff, Maine. Later, a reporter would interview someone who knew people who lived in that town that was overtaken by the dam. And the person said, for months leading up to that date in 1950, when the waters would be unleashed on the town, people stopped cleaning their yards, People stopped painting their houses. People stopped repairing their roofs. People stopped taking out the garbage. Why do it if everything you see is going to be wiped away and flooded and covered in just a few months? In fact, the person said, where there is no faith in the future, there's no power in the present. Dear friend, we need hope. And if we don't have hope of a better day to come, life loses its power And we find ourselves paralyzed. And that's where the Christians in the first century were as they were being persecuted. It's where some of you are. You feel hopeless. And because of that, you almost don't have the energy to put one foot in front of the other. You're going through emotion like a ghost. And yet the apostle Peter says, if you've trusted Jesus who was alive from the dead, you have hope. You have a living hope. You might have a hope in this world of the things of this world, but if that's where your hope is founded, you've got a hope that's gonna die before you die. If your hopes are all in a relationship, when the relationship dies, your hope dies. If your hope is in that business venture, when it collapses and you have to file for bankruptcy, then your hope dies. If your hope for a better day tomorrow is in your health and your strength when your body conspires against you, your hope dies. When you put your hope for a better future in a politician, well, you know the rest of the story, your hope dies. But when you place your hope in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have a living hope, a hope that will never die. And Peter is not writing this with some pious platitude coming from his pen. He is writing this from his own personal experience. Peter knew what it was to have hope born into his heart when he first met Jesus and Jesus called him, come be one of my disciples. Peter knew what it was to have his hopes in Jesus as the Messiah fanned into flame with every message Jesus preached and every miracle Jesus performed. Peter knew what it was to have hope in Jesus when Jesus asked the question, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter knew what it was to have hope in Jesus when Jesus said, look at all the people who are walking away from me. Are you gonna leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. And yet Peter saw his hopes dashed and killed when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. And he knew what it was to feel hopeless because he's the same Peter, if you remember, who was so bold. Jesus, if everybody else leaves you, I'll never leave you. I'll die for you if necessary. And yet he denied he even knew Jesus when Jesus was arrested and put on trial. Like a coward, he denied his Lord. And now he's hopeless that he could ever be forgiven of his sin. He feels hopeless of a better day and a better future for himself and for Israel and for the world. 
until he got the news. The tomb is empty. And he ran to that tomb. The Bible says he ran with John to the tomb. And as he looked in and he saw an empty tomb, a living hope welled up in his heart. And for the rest of his life, when he spoke of hope, he called it a living hope. Because his hope was no longer in his expectations and his abilities and his ideas. His hope was in Jesus, risen from the dead. He says, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a hope that will never die. The second certainty that you can hold on to in life's present difficulties is you have an inheritance that will never be destroyed. You not only have a hope that will never die, you have an inheritance that will never be destroyed. Peter put it this way in verse four. He says, you've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's talking about the inheritance. Did you know that Jesus Christ has written you into the last will and testament of his life? In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, he prays to his father and he says, Father, I want them to have the glory that you've given me. I want them to share in everything that I have. What does that mean? Well, it means you have an inheritance of life, forgiveness, peace, righteousness, You have an inheritance of the glory of Christ and the knowledge that heaven is your home. You have the inheritance one day of not only a redeemed soul now, but a redeemed and renewed body when Christ gives us new bodies like his resurrection body. You have so much more than what we could ever comprehend or fathom. It's an inheritance and it's imperishable. That's the Greek word that describes something that was ravaged by an invading army, just like the destruction of Putin and Russia and the evil that they are perpetrating on Ukraine and the devastation left behind. That's what this world does to your earthly inheritance, but not your heavenly inheritance. No army can touch it. It is imperishable. It's undefiled. In other words, it's unpolluted. It's unstained. It can't be tainted. And it's unfading. Unlike a flower that blooms in the morning and then fades and wilts and dies in the afternoon, your inheritance is just as beautiful today as it's ever been in Christ. You can't say much about unfading with the things of this world. You might as well write in all capitals, F-A-D-I-N-G over everything in this life. Fading health, fading beauty, fading youth, fading popularity, fading fame, fading stock portfolios, fading political fortunes. This world knows how to destroy things. And if your hope and your future inheritance is based on everything down here, you don't have much of an inheritance at all. And no matter what you accumulate in this life, you can't take it with you anyway. I've done over 800 funerals. I've yet to see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You can't take your stuff with you. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves. Don't store up for yourselves down here treasures that moth and rust can destroy or that thieves can break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven where none of that can touch it or taint it. I grew up in Valdosta, Georgia. I was born in Mobile, Alabama, but really Valdosta, Georgia was home. 
And I remember my boyhood home on Brookwood Drive in Valdosta. When I was a little boy, I remember starting the first grade when my parents bought this home. It looked like a big house to me, bigger than an apartment that we had lived in. It looked like a big house. I remember my parents were so proud of buying this home. And I remember the day that that my dad and my uncle Felton painted the outside of the house and they painted the inside of the house and they planted flowers and shrubbery And I grew up for many years in that home. And in my little boyhood mind, it was big and beautiful. And then I rode by my boyhood home decades later, and I discovered it wasn't what I remember. Let me show you a picture of my home. Oh, that's what it looks like today from Google Maps. Not quite as impressive as I remember. And time has not done it any good. And that's what our world looks like. That's what our lives look like. And we stake our whole future on all the things that we can earn or we can achieve or that we can accumulate. There's nothing wrong with the earning. There's nothing wrong with achieving or accumulating. But if that's where your hope is, if that's the inheritance that you're expecting to have or to leave, that's nothing. You need something that money can't buy and death can't take away, and that is only found in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In heaven, we have an inheritance that will never be destroyed. The inheritance of God's glory being a part of his family, walking on streets of gold, being separated forever from all the sin that has tainted this world and our lives, all because of Jesus, all because of him. You have a hope that will never die. Hang on to that in your present difficulties. You have an inheritance that will never be destroyed. Hang on to that in your present difficulties. And thirdly, you have a security that will never be defeated when you place your faith in Jesus. Let's read all that again and kind of keep the context of what Peter is saying. So I want to go back to 1 Peter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen to verse five, who by God's power, he's talking about you now, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, I've got good news for you. Not only is your inheritance guarded by God in heaven, but you are guarded down here on earth until you get to your inheritance. You have a security of your soul that can never be defeated. He says it's guarded this salvation of yours, this relationship you have with God through faith in Christ. It's guarded. It's a military term. It means to be garrisoned about. It means to be surrounded by elite military troops who are on the job providing you power. And who guards you? No one less than God himself. You are kept guarded by God's power. And if you know anything about your heart, like I know about my heart, and I don't mean the heart that's beating in my chest, I'm talking about my nature. If you know anything about your nature, like I know about my nature, you better be thankful God's the one who guards your salvation because if it was up to you, you'd lose it. If it was up to the world, they'd steal it and destroy it and take it away from you. But I'm grateful that God's the one who guards my heart 
that God is the one who secures my salvation, that God is the one who is on the scene, the God who never sleeps nor slumbers. He is on the job 24 hours a day to make sure that nothing can snatch me from his hands. Now, it does say that I'm guarded by God in his power through faith. So I do have my part to place my trust in Jesus Christ because we walk by faith and not by sight. My faith is in Jesus Christ and him alone. I don't have to do anything. I just rest in him. And it says this, this salvation is ready to be revealed. In other words, it's ready now. Now your sins are forgiven the moment you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but there's so much more than just your sins being forgiven that Jesus was doing on the cross of Calvary. He's promised you a resurrection body just like his. Anybody here ready for that, that body? <laughs> I'm kind of ready for that one where there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. That day's coming. But until then, I need to know it's ready and I can be confident that the day is coming. And when will it come? In the last time. Peter's referring to when Jesus comes back the second time. He came the first time like he promised, died, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day, just like he promised. And in John 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's ready. It just hasn't yet been revealed I remember taking Donna to see the first Lord of the Rings movie. I talked her into going, and uh, I remember after the three-hour movie ended. <laughs> and other people are standing up going, woo, you know, applauding. She looked at me, and she said, what? That's it? <laughs> three hours, and that's how this thing ends? And I said, oh, well, sweetie, uh, I should have told you it was a three-hour movie, and I should have told you that this is actually the first in a trilogy. What? I've got six more hours of this to endure before I see how all this ends? She never went back with me to see any of the others. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes it feels that way, doesn't it? Jesus, you promised to come back. You promised that one day all wrong will be made right. You promised that we'll get new resurrection bodies. When, when, when? And Jesus says, trust me, it's coming. You got to wait, but it's coming. Dear friend, what do we do now? We praise God while we hold on to these spiritual certainties during our present difficulties. Because Jesus lives, we can know that we have from Christ a hope that will never die, an inheritance that will never be destroyed, a security that can't ever be defeated. So no matter what you're going through down here, I can promise you, God's not finished with you yet. Your pain and your problems will not have the last word over you. Listen to Jesus. He shows you through his own example that after a cross, there's a coronation. After groaning, there's glory. After death, there is life. And you need to trust him in the meantime. I don't know what you're going through, but I know what you're going to. 
And his name is Jesus. So maybe you're facing a problem today. Jesus is risen from the dead. Hang on to that. He's not done. If he can overcome the grave, watch what he can do in your life. Let's pray together as our band comes back and leads us in our closing song today. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe today, for the first time in your life, you need Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Right now, would you say, dear God, that's right, pray in your heart, he'll hear you. Dear God, I admit to you I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is your son who died on the cross to pay the price for my sin, to express your love for me. Thank you that he died for me willingly. And having died, he rose from the dead and he promised if I would believe in him, I would not die in my sin, but I would have eternal life. So today, God, I believe in Jesus. I put my trust in him. Will you do that, sir? Will you do that, dad? Will you do that, husband? Will you do that, grandfather? Ma'am, will you do that? Will you, young person today, right where you are, trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior? He's risen from the dead. He loves you. Let him save you today when you place your faith in him. And for those of us who've already done that, we've already trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, let us today rededicate ourselves to him. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive from the grave. Thank you for this living hope that you've given us. Thank you for this wonderful inheritance that awaits us. Thank you that we are safe in your hands and that we can trust you even when life is difficult, all because Jesus lives. Thank you for the gospel. It's not just a good news beginning. It's the good news of a good ending. Thank you, Father, for what you're going to do as we trust you through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anyone today who's making a spiritual next step to be saved, to be baptized, to join our church, to get into a group, I pray that they'll go out to that tent this morning or comment online and let us know so that we can rejoice with them and help them take that next step. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.